Well, hey there, and welcome to the Saints Church Glory Hills podcast. We're so happy that you joined us today. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, we believe that God will speak to you through one of our pastors today. Let's jump in. I want to read uh, out of Isaiah chapter 9 this morning, and then uh, we're going to get into the Word. But it says this, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 to 6, it says, But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but rather, in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased his joy. They rejoice before you as joy at the harvest, as they were glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulders, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For, what a weird way to introduce a prophecy about Jesus. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. I want to talk to you today about the cost of giving. There's a reason I did all the giving stuff earlier. Uh, The cost of giving, because it is the season for giving. It's a season for joy. It's a season for, uh, you know, refreshing and time with families and all of those good things. And, you know, watching movies and maybe taking time off work after you're so exhausted because you did way too much leading up to the time that you have off. So then you don't actually feel rested. But hey, you know what, we're going we're gonna to squeeze every ounce of joy and life out of Christmas that we can. But I sometimes wonder why, when we talk about Christmas and we talk about uh, Jesus and all of these things, sometimes we miss and, and we, we don't actually talk about the cost of giving, right? The Bible says it's better to give than to receive. Uh, Dylan, can we pull the mic back a little bit? Because I want to hold it higher in my... I'm going to yell, and, and it's going to feed back. And for everyone who listens to podcasts, this is what happens when you're in the room at church, and you should be here. Um, we talk about the, the, the joy and all those things, and we try to focus on that because we don't want to talk about the cost. We don't want to talk about what it takes to get there. Um, and so we all do these things. We budget. We go beyond our budgets. Uh, and then we try to figure out what we're going to get the most worthwhile return on where we're spending, what we're investing in, all these things. And we all kind of do this around the holidays. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to say this because I can and I have the mic and I want to brag, is that uh, as of Thursday night, November 30th, Brandy and I were completely done our Christmas shopping. And our house is decorated and everything's done. And I'm like, sweet. Now we're just going to do nothing. And I know there won't be nothing. There will be tons of stuff that comes up in the meantime. But, you know, it's nice to feel ahead and to get things done and all those things. But sometimes we're so frantic and we worry about these things and we, we wonder, are they worth it? You ever been there? 
uh, because what we're actually doing is we put the effort into the things often either A, out of duty because we have to, or B, because the, the reaction or how we serve others or how we give to them, uh, we really believe it's going to be worth it and worthwhile in their lives. And there's a cost to giving that always leads us to the question of, is it worth it. So, you know, typically when you're making your budget for Christmas and you're thinking about things, well, um, I'll uh, spend uh, $10 on my father-in-law because he'll probably never, ever use the gift that he gets from us. And as long as I write something nice in the card so he cries, he's happy. But, you know, when you go to your kids, you're like, you know, moms probably, especially, you're looking for that expression of joy on their face and how can we stretch the budget and do a little bit more because you actually don't realize that you're getting something out of the cost of your giving. You're actually putting most of your effort and your higher cost into where you might get a return on that. And sometimes we think, oh, I, because I, I, some people would way rather give gifts than receive gifts. Now, where's all my receive gift people in the room? Just, it's okay, we love you. People who love giving gifts need people who love receiving gifts, okay? And so some of you didn't want to put up your hand next to your spouse because you're like, well, they should know that I like receiving gifts. I shouldn't have to tell them. Um, and then where's the people that like you would rather give a gift to somebody because, you know, you know, we get that as well. And uh, one of the reasons I would probably way rather give gifts than receive gifts is because this is how excited I look all the time. So when someone's giving me a gift, I actually feel bad that they don't see an ounce of joy or excitement in me beyond uh, my amazing personality as it is all the time. And like that's what Brandy just hates buying me gifts because she's like, I could buy you a car or uh, you know a watch and I'll get the same reaction. The funny thing is, is like if I find a deal at like Lowe's, Canadian Tire, Home Depot on some sort of like parts organizer, I'm more excited about that than like buying a new house at times. Like she's like, you get excited about the weirdest things. And, and people, when we're giving and, and buying gifts for people and we're trying to uh, measure how we do that, we, we're always weighing costs, we're weighing budget, we're doing those things, but there is a cost to it. And we tend to pay a greater cost when we feel like we're going to get a greater result or a greater reaction. Now, have you ever thought about God this way? The cost of Christmas, the cost of giving and Jesus literally costs God everything. It's as if God the Father had said, there are so many ways that I could restore mankind to myself, but it's in his heart. He goes, I will pay the ultimate price to hopefully get the biggest return on my investment of my son into the earth. Because if I show them I love them that much, maybe they will respond out of love towards me. And yet he doesn't control our response. And Jesus comes and, and there's this idea throughout the scriptures and these prophecies about Naphtali and Zebulun and what they're going through and, and the tribes of Israel and how far they are from God. And he says, but I will, I will pay the ultimate cost. I will give with no expense spared so I can see that people could come back to me and they could experience the joy that is only found in Jesus. And I want us to reflect a little bit today on the cost of giving because I think very often it's easier for us to give and to pour out 
because in our own homes, our own families, our own comfort zone, we, we see more immediately the return on what that actually does. There's a, there's a result that comes with it. But like the Heavenly Father sending Jesus into humanity as a baby, it's like, couldn't a Jesus just showed up like 30 years old incarnate, not live life through all these things, and then have to die? No, no, God connects humanity to just like any one of you. You might not like a person when they're 30, but when they're a baby, you, you talk nice to every baby you ever meet. And if you don't, you're strange, and we need to pray for you. And, uh, you know, and, and God sends Jesus as a baby born to die. Literally, the prophecies are he is born to die and pay the ultimate price. And God's saying, I want to not spare any expense. And the reality is, is God's all-knowing, so he, he knows. But it wasn't a sure thing that people would respond out of love towards the love of God. Like, if you believe that God has given you free will... Love is not really love if you don't have the opportunity to reject it, to walk away from it, to spurn it. We want real relationships. We want relationships where it's reciprocated that when we pour out love to someone, it, it, it doesn't feel real if they have no choice in the matter. And so God sends Jesus into the earth, and, and I, I know God knew that it would be worth it that anyone returning to him, relationship with humanity was worth it to God. But often in our lives, when we are pouring out, when we're giving of our lives, of our talent, of our treasure, it's easy to do it in an area that hits close to our heart because we get to see an immediate result. But then when we think of an area like missions or we think of an area of loving the unlovely, we think about opening ourselves to those who have need that are outside. Sometimes we wonder, will it be worth the effort and the cost and the price that I have to pay because they may walk away and never be changed by it that I know of. And I would argue to say that when God calls us to some things in life, we have to stop worrying about the cost and we have to start getting on board with the call of God as his people so he can do a work that only he can do because we're not going to change people. Jesus is going to change people. And the first thing that I want us to know today, I got three things for you today. First thing I want you to know today is this, is that great darkness requires great light. And this is the scripture we see when we come into the Christmas story that the bondage is going to be broken, the yokes are going to be lifted, things are going to change. But it says, to the people who walked in deep darkness, they'll see a great light. And I would tell you today that in our world and in our schools and in our jobs and in our communities, that when there is deep darkness, when it's so bad, when situations are so deeply shrouded in gloom and destruction and all of those things, deep darkness actually needs a great light. And when we think we're going to provide the light that people need by being a good person, dressing nicer than we normally do, putting on a smile offering them cookies and coffee. Can I tell you that people don't just need us. They need a great light and we don't have that within ourselves. This is the people who've walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who land, dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. But just as people need a great light, that light needs a mode or a vessel to transfer so people can actually see it. 
It's like trying to harness energy or power. It can be there, but if there is nothing to move it through and lead it to where it needs to go, it's kind of just everywhere. I mean, I don't know how electricity works and power grids and all that stuff, but I do know this. There has to be something that brings it into my home and has a ability to turn the light off and on and, and, and there is a pathway and there is a way for that to get there. And I believe that God uses us not to show people the light that is who we are. Because, I mean, let me tell you people, I'm a freaking delight to hang out with. <laughs> Such a joy. Cheerful, smiley, jovial, middle names that you could give me. You know, everyone, you can laugh, it's Okay. I know my personality. <laughs> it's okay. And there's a time to have fun, and there's a time to be serious, and I think there's more time to be serious than to have fun, but there is time to have fun once in a while. But if I'm relying on my own charisma, how I look, how I treat people, all those things, God will use all of those things. But if I'm relying on that to pull someone out of their deepest, darkest discouragement, to help them with the thing that they're facing, the diagnosis that they got, I am not enough within myself, and I very much know that. And when I go to visits, and when I go to meetings, and I go to things, the first prayer I pray is, Lord, Help me show them you. Because if the only thing I can do is give a glimmer of hope and be a conduit to direct people towards Jesus, they might see something that brings them hope, that shows them future, that shows them light. And we have to be willing to be vessels that point people to what they actually need. And this is actually pictured in the birth of John the Baptist. So when John the Baptist uh, is conceived... Uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth, they're old, they can't have kids, and uh, Zachariah gets this word that they're going to have a son, and he starts questioning God, and, and God kind of is like, okay, so just prove that this is all going to be me, and this and that. He goes, I'm going to uh, close your mouth for uh, the till the time your son is born, and I don't know, for the ladies in the room, like, a husband who can't talk for your whole pregnancy, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, on the one hand, he can't say something stupid. On the other hand, communication with him in your level of frustration and discomfort is probably at an all-time high in a different level. So, you know, they're in this situation. But the minute that John is born, and uh, everyone's arguing with Elizabeth that she shouldn't name the baby John because that's not the family name, uh, Zachariah's mouth is open and he declares his name is John. And why he declares that is because I, uh, Zachariah is realigning with the purpose that this child was born with a purpose to carry a message that God gave me, that God will give him, and, and, and it's going to cost him, and he's going to live a very sacrificial life. But there is a purpose in this. And he says this in Luke chapter 1, verse 76 to 79. It says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord and prepare his ways and give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet to the way of peace. God prophesies about Jesus coming. He starts unfolding his plan. 
He gets ready for Jesus to appear. The Christmas story is in full swing. And right before we see Jesus born in Bethlehem and Mary and Joseph traveling, there is a man named John where God says, and he prophesies through John's father to John and Zechariah, and he says, you have a purpose to show people, to point them towards salvation. You have a purpose to open your mouth and talk about what God has been saying all this time. You have a purpose to show people that peace is found in finding Jesus. He starts talking about all these things, and then he quotes the scripture. To the people sitting in darkness, you're going to speak things that show them a light that's greater than you, John. And that's why John could grow up later in his life. And I'm sure Zachariah spoke this to him over and over again. John, it's not about you. John, this is about Jesus. John, when people ask what you're doing, this is what you're doing. You're pointing people towards salvation. You're telling them that their sins can be forgiven. You're showing them that God's tender mercy is here and present. And there is a light that is greater than your darkness. And it's not me. I'm just a preacher. You might think that I'm this great prophet, but my job is to point you to Jesus and this is John's whole life and at one point in John's life he says he must increase and I must decrease but we remember at the end of John's life he comes to a place he says Jesus is this really true because I don't know if this was worth it because there is a cost to giving of ourselves for the purpose of God in seeing what he wants happen to happen in the earth church someone has to show the light But in doing so, we have to make sure we don't get confused and believe that we're the light. And we're such great people, and we helped someone, and we did this, and we did that. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that without Jesus, I can't even fathom where I would be. So when we encounter people, it's not about who sinned, them or their parents, or this or that. It's about how can we point them to Jesus, and how can he heal this situation? We are not the great light, but we are those who are called to show them the light of the world. This is why Jesus said, I am the light of the world. This is why Jesus said, though, you need to let your light shine. And the cost of knowing Jesus is really coming down to a place where every day when we live out our lives... We have to decide, do I want to know Jesus enough that when people come to me, when I encounter people, that I have enough of Jesus in me that I give them Jesus, I don't give them my thoughts, my opinions, and myself. I give them the grace, the love, the compassion, the guidance, the wisdom, and direction that only Jesus can bring because we have an intimate relationship with Jesus. And I I believe that we're in a day where deep darkness requires a great light. And the sooner the church gets back to their knees, they get back to a place, they get back in the Word and saying, Jesus, if I am going to show people how great you are and the great light of Jesus, I need to know it for myself. Because we can't give what we don't have and we need to bring that into our hearts and bring that into our lives. And this is why Isaiah said, well, here's what's going to happen. This deep darkness, there's a great light coming. And he says, a child is born, a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of 
peace. And we can be people that are so bent and so opinionated and so brought to a place where we want to share what we think and what we believe. And when it comes to showing people Jesus and people in deep darkness and when they're deceived and when they don't understand what's going on in the world and they're living out of some sort of agenda that is so contrary from the Word of God, you can argue and you can fight with people or you can show them a great life, light and His name is Jesus. It's not you. I wrote this down. People don't need your coffee, your cookies, and your Christmas dinner. Because some of us slip into this. Well, I, I should be nice and benevolent this year, and I'll do something nice for someone because I know, I know they're struggling a lot. And then it becomes passive, and we feel like a good person because we did a good thing. Now, don't get me wrong. I am not saying don't do those things for people. But sometimes we stop there, and what people really need is Jesus. So people need to see that when you do those things, when you take that time, when you go for coffee, when you bring them that baking, when you invite them for dinner, when you open your home, it's not to make you look good as a good person. It's because there is a greater light in Jesus. And hopefully when they spend time with you, when they're in your home, when you're doing those things, what they're actually experiencing is a manifestation of the presence of Jesus that they haven't found anywhere else in the world in what they're chasing and you get to say to them come on home welcome in because with Jesus there is a place for everyone and we got to come to this place where we realize that God is using us to show people who he is Colossians 1 26 27 or 28 says this the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And it's him that we proclaim. It's him that we proclaim. And so what I want you to know today is that deep darkness requires a great light. And the sooner we start approaching even a season like Christmas... And saying, Jesus, help me to be someone who can actually reveal you to others. It changes everything. Because we can do great events, and we can spend more money, or we can welcome people into all these things. But if it's not real, if it's not a, just a conduit to point people to the life, the hope that's in Jesus, we're just another social club that does nice things. And I, and I just want to tell you, I don't, I don't want to be even a church that lives out dead works. The Bible talks about, you know, there are works prepared for us to do. So, you know, don't separate faith and works. There are works for us to do. But works done outside of the grace of God and showing people Jesus and ha that, that aren't connected to eternal hope, the Bible says, yeah, they're good works, but they're dead works because they end with us. And, and so we, we need to come back to a place where we realize that there is a cost uh, of giving, and Jesus paid the price, and God did that, but deep darkness requires great light. But the second thing that I want us to know today is as I was praying about this and I was thinking about, Lord, like, what, what do I share? Like, this is a weird thing because I, I did this whole big giving moment, and we're starting off the Christmas season, and, and sometimes we don't like talking about those things, but I, I really felt in my heart to lean into this because... Uh, one thing that we should carry in our hearts is that when giving gets costly, 
the generous keep spending. I, re I really believe that's true. When pouring out gets costly, the generous keep spending because God is more than enough for our lives and there is a, a work that we need to work into our hearts and we need to keep moving uh, so we can be who God wants us to be to people around us. Proverbs 11.24 says this. It says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched and the one who waters himself will be watered. Uh, the message translation says this. It says, The world of the generous gets larger and larger, but the world of the stingy gets smaller than, and smaller. God has given everything. This is the story of Christmas. It cost him everything, and it will cost us if we are those who desire to see people receive all that Jesus has for them. It will cost us something. And sometimes this isn't a very nice gospel. We're like, well, tell me that God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life, and it's all going to work out. How about when we get to where Paul says, well, I die daily, and I'm crucified with Christ, and there is a cost to the call of God in my life, and all the riches in heaven are mine. I have Jesus. I have everything I need. But there is a cost with the call of God to live out our lives, to bring people to know who Jesus is and for them to see all that he has for them. And, and I was, uh, you know, reading my Bible out um, and flipping through some of like the highlights and stuff like this. And so this is credit to Brandy. This isn't me. Uh, she couldn't sleep on Friday night. And uh, I kind of woke up and I'm like, what are you doing on your phone? It's like three in the morning, four in the morning. Oh, I can't sleep. And then I remember this. I said, oh, what's wrong? And then I fell back asleep and have no clue what she said to me. <laughs> so I did ask her after prayer because I got up and, 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 uh, and came for Saturday morning prayer. I asked her, hey, what was wrong? She goes, oh, I didn't really say much. She's like, I know you were tired and thanks for asking though. And I'm like, that could have went a whole lot worse. <laughs> My wife is very loving, very forgiving, and very understanding that I am useless when I am half asleep. Uh, so <laughs> it's, not, it's not worth her getting upset because I can't be blamed for what I do when I'm half awake. Uh, and we're at Saturday morning prayer, and I'm scrolling highlights, and she highlighted this next verse in, in the book of Philemon. Philemon's only one book in verse 4 to 7, and I was like, God just opened my eyes, this powerful insight, and it was almost like God saying, see, I'm working when you're sleeping because your wife wasn't sleeping, and she worked on your behalf, and here's this amazing uh, piece of gold. And uh, Larry actually had it written down that morning for another uh, scripture to pray through a prayer. But it says this, Philemon... Uh, Verse 4 to 7 says this, I thank my God when always when I remember you in prayers because I hear of your love and the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because of the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you. 
What Paul's trying to say to Philemon, and he's trying to remind him is, Philemon, you've paid a price. You've loved other people. You've shown them who you are. You've pointed them towards Jesus. You've refreshed the saints. But he says, I pray that your faith and all the things that you've been doing in faith, they're actually going to be fruitful, and they're going to they're gonna spring forth fruit to what God wants to do in people's lives around you, because maybe you haven't seen it yet. Paul's also buttering him up to say, hey, I have this request about Onesimus, and I want you to deal gently with him. But he he's recognizing the type of person that Philemon is, uh, and, and, and he's appealing to that. And, and what Paul's really showing here, and what I believe is, this is the heart of a believer who commits to the call of God and the cost of following Jesus, realizing that this is not just about me, this is about what God wants to do in me and through me so other people can experience this great light as well. And he says, I pray that your faith, everyone say faith, I'll just make sure you're awake, may become effective for the knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. See, the good things that God has put in you are for the sake of Jesus Christ. The things that you have in you to offer to others, the, the proclivities in your personality, the way you relate to certain people, the gifts, the talents, the abilities that you have, they mean something to other people. Why? Because when you activate those things in faith, it actually is a conduit to share the gospel to show people the love of God. And so the things that are in you are in you because of Christ, and they're to point people towards Jesus. And he says, hey, Philemon, I want you to come back to a place where you keep stepping out in faith and believing that all the things you've been doing, the love you've been pouring out, the way you've been sharing your life with other people, it's going to be fruitful for the sake of the gospel. And people are going to see Jesus, and they're going to be refreshed. And then believers who are tired and struggling, they're going to see Jesus through you, not that you're just a better Christian than them, because that's the game we play in the church. Some of us don't want to be encouraged by someone because we feel like, well, if they can encourage me and I can't encourage myself, maybe they're a better Christian than me and they have more faith than me. No, it just means we're all human and God's put different gifts and abilities in each of us. And in different seasons and time, we're supposed to be there to pour out our love, our affection, the things that Christ has put in us in faith that God might help other people see Jesus more clearly. I need some of you to say things or speak things into my life that help me see Jesus when I can't see clearly in difficult times. And then I need God to use me in certain situations when I take a phone call or when I talk with you to say, God, help me remember something that's inside of me because I've read it, I've studied it, I've prayed it, that this person needs. Why? Because they don't just need me. They're coming to me because they need the gift of Jesus that's active in me. And by faith, I share that and I trust that it's going to bring forth fruit and strength and growth in that person's life. And so when it comes to the cost of giving, deep darkness requires a great light, which means we have to go after Jesus with everything we have. we got to get the light, the love of Jesus, all of those things so deep inside of us. But then we come to this place where it says when we get tired, when giving gets costly, the generous keep spending. Because I don't know about you, but there are days that I am tired. There are days that I have nothing left, but... Can I remind you that doesn't mean that Jesus has nothing left? And this is why Paul said in, in, in 2 Corinthians, he said this. He said, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? So he's, Paul, Paul came to this realization. is like, sometimes you spend 
And you don't get a return of gratitude, thankfulness, or gratefulness. Every person with teenagers understands that right now. You spend, and you're spent, and you give of yourself. Why? Because you're acting out of faith and principle and the right things of God that are in you. Why? Because you're a representation of Jesus to your kids, to your friends, to your neighbors, to that coworker who doesn't know God, who doesn't even desire to know God. And they wonder why you keep showing up, why you keep loving them, why you would show up and, and give of your own money or your time when you have better things you can be doing. And what you're saying is, God, I will spend and be spent because I have faith to believe that when they finally see Jesus and all of this, it changes everything. And there are moments and there are times where when we spend, we get tired. That's why we got to keep coming back to the light that's greater than we are. We got to come back to the well where we are filled up. The story of the wedding at Cana, Jesus' first miracle, there were 12 empty vessels, water pots, and he says, fill them with water and then pour them out. We are both the vessels and the water inside. We are empty vessels that are fragile, useful for very few things. But when Jesus changes something on the inside of us, when he fills us up and we're poured out, it brings new life to people. It brings joy. It brings something that we could never bring on our own. And what we have to be willing to do is invite Jesus in. Say, Lord, I'm running low. I'm running dry. Would you fill me up? Because I have nothing left to pour out. So that's a really good Good place to be because when you have nothing really to pour out, what you're really going to do is going to start opening your Bible, you're going to start praying, and the Holy Spirit's going to give you something, and you say, Lord, I know that wasn't me because I am not that smart. I haven't been holding on to that, thinking about all these situations and how I'm going to fix it and change it. What we've simply done is come back to the well of our Savior and said, Lord, I have faith to believe that if you work through me and you pour through me, people will get something that is more valuable than what I could offer them because they're getting Jesus. They're getting the power of the Holy Spirit, and it changes their life. The NLT says this, I will gladly spend myself and all I have for you, even though it seems that the more I love you, the less you love me. One of the very important principles when it comes to the cost of giving is found in the fact that you might give of your time, you might give of yourself, give of your family, Give of your finances to help people, to show them Jesus, and one of two things can happen. One, you may never see the return and you have to trust God with it. Or two, you might even feel spurned, rejected, or unloved in those situations. And the hard part is to regulate our own hearts and say, God, I will keep spending and be spent because you've called me and there is a cost to pouring out my life for others. If we quit loving people and pouring out every time someone rejects us or doesn't seem grateful, I mean, we'd all be a bunch of Christians that don't ever do anything and hold on for the second coming of Jesus because that's the only worthwhile thing in life. But there's so much more than that. There's life to be found in Jesus. There's hope to be found in Jesus. And so I believe that when 
Giving gets costly, the generous keep spending. Could I have the keyboard player come back up, please? But the last thing I want us to remember when it comes to the cost of giving is this. Okay, second last thing. I lied. I think when we wrestle with the question of God, will it be worth it? We got to come back to the question of our heart saying, God, do I believe I'm called to it? Because whether it's worth it or not, if we're called to it, there's that scripture, obedience is better than sacrifice. Because when we live in a, a slave victim mentality of sacrifice, like, God, I always do this for you. God, I always do this for you. And I have those days. If we can't switch our hearts and our minds back to, but God, I'm called to this, we will live at a deficit feeling like we didn't get back, we never got a return, no one did anything for me. But when we come back to a place of how much God has done for us and I am called to pour out my life for others, it changes the way we walk. And often what I've found even in my life when I hit one of those walls, when we're in one of those places where it's like, I've given time, I've sacrificed things with my family, I've done this, I've done that. Lord, why is this not working out? Or why this or why that? And you, you get into one of those head spaces. Uh, I find I, the older I get, I get a little angrier and sharper with God quicker. So he just comes back at me quicker. And he's like, well, you're the one that said you gave me your life. <laughs> like sometimes like I'm in that headspace I'm like but Lord this and it's like did you say you would follow me or not like I'll hear phrases like that from the Holy Spirit and it's like this is not a childish conversation anymore like let's just be let's be grown ups about it let's talk about this we can talk about this but I called you and you said you would follow but thank God that sometimes he's gentle I think maybe I'm just at a stage in life where God's doing that to me because it's like, hey, you've done this long enough, like, you know, like, it's like your child's like, why are you throwing a tantrum right now? Often when I find that myself in that place, it's because I'm missing one thing. I'm missing the fact, and the third thing that I want you to know when it comes to the cost of giving is that it's Jesus who multiplies your joy. Because I'm always in the place where I'm angry or I'm frustrated, it's because someone didn't return or repay or appreciate or do what I thought I should do. And I'm looking for my joy and my response and the thing that makes me feel nice from people. And I gotta come back to the place that it was never about getting that back from people. It's about realizing that Jesus is truly the only one that can multiply my joy. Everything going perfectly, everyone responding the right way, the perfect family photo at Christmas, the, the no fighting and oh, we, this and that. Thinking we're going to find joy in that is so far from reality. But when we come back to a place that we realize that our world lives in darkness and people are struggling and our kids are going to walk through things that they have to walk through in life. And 
Sometimes it causes tempers and frustrations and sometimes it's whether it's a parent or a leader or whatever, you don't feel like you're getting the response that you deserve. When we come back to the place where we say, but Jesus, I need to find my joy in you. You can live in the situation you're in and you can say, Jesus, this doesn't have to steal my joy. It doesn't have to be the end. It says this in Isaiah chapter 9. You have multiplied the nation and you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. They are glad when they divide the spoil. Why? For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder and the rod of his impressor, they're broken as the day of Midian. Why? Because a son is born, or a child is born, a son is given. The government's on his shoulders. It's not out of his control. His name is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's Jesus who multiplies our joy. And I said this to our church leadership team last night. We were having dinner. And I kept thinking about Romans chapter 14, verse 17, where it says, For the kingdom of heaven is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy. And I'm kind of glad that eating and drinking is part of it. I like a good meal. I like a good time with people. But what I said to the team was, I think Paul had to bring this out to the early church because they were getting so anchored in that if we follow Jesus, we gotta do it right and we gotta do this and that and everything's gotta be perfect. And, and they were actually starting to become the church that carried everything with a sense of heaviness and they, they were lacking joy. They were lacking peace in doing the things that God had called them to do. And I think sometimes that's where we find ourselves. We get to a place where, well, I guess if I do this better next time or I have a better team or I make, uh, I make this happen or that happen uh, and if the food is this way and, and if we have a bunch of rules, it's gonna make everything so much better. And, and, and Paul's like, you're so worried about these things that you forget that you are righteous because Jesus paid the price and you can only be righteous in him. You can have peace because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And you can have joy because it's one of the fruits of the Spirit and what God calls you to. And I remember a preacher saying this years ago and I, and I shared it with the team. I said, Jesus had three and a half years to get his ministry going, go to the cross, and establish a team that would carry his message for time and eternity until he returns and fulfills the gospel. That's the gospel, right? Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose again, and he's coming back. And he leaves this team in charge of it, but he also showed them in three and a half years. Like, I, I, I gotta really remind myself of this. I get so sometimes caught in doing something 
Jesus is the only one who could save the world. And in his three and a half years, I would have been all ministry, all the time, full out. Jesus goes to weddings. He stops for dinner. He spends time with people. He finds joy with him. He tells the disciples like, hey, let's just, let's just feed all these people on mountainside. And they get all worked up about it. And he's like, guys, like, just relax a little bit. Well, easy for you to say, you're the son of God. You can perform miracles. But in our lives, as we make our way in this Christmas season, I really felt to call our church to count the cost so we can walk out our calling. But let's remember, it's not our own righteousness. Doing a bunch of stuff isn't gonna bring us peace. And if we're looking for joy and how things work out, we have to find it in Jesus. But in the midst of all the things that you're doing, my prayer, I would say, for our church is that we would be those that spend and are spent. We pour out our lives for people. Why? Because there is such deep darkness right now. People need a great light, and they're not going to find it outside of the people of God. And if as the people of God, we don't bring it into our hearts to say, God, I need something from you so I can reveal it to others. But I also want to encourage you don't get so heavy and stuck in that that you don't remember to walk with people out of a peace and a joy of the Holy Spirit that brings life. So I guess my prayer for this Christmas is really as we examine the price that Jesus paid and what an amazing gift it is, we would be willing to count the cost, but we would walk out our call with righteousness, peace, and joy. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions or are looking to get connected in any further way, head to saintschurch.ca and we would love to meet you.